This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. People are still reacting to the death of actor Matthew Perry. Of course, you knew him as Chandler Bing on the TV show Friends. He also wrote a book. He wrote a memoir just one year ago. Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access has thoughts on Matthew Perry's legacy. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning. So last year, Matthew Perry penned his memoir, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. It talked about his life and his battles with addiction. Now, Sila has the book in their collection, but how do you think Matthew Perry is going to be remembered? Well, it's interesting you asked that question. Um, I've been sort of grieving Friends was a big part of my younger years as well. And so um, I was watching a couple of interviews and he said that really what he wanted to be remembered for was his book and for um, what his book does, which is his goal was to have the book help folks who were struggling with addiction there in their own right. And that he always wanted to be the kind of person that would be able to take somebody by the hand and help lead them out of that, um, that depth that they had been in, that he had shared with them. And so I think, you know, given that the book's only been out almost exactly a year from uh, before his death, I think it's a pretty profound statement that he made in all of these different interviews. You know, he he made us laugh. I've been watching some of the clips. He was a riot. But I think really his really raw and honest talk about what it's like to be living with addiction is uh, probably his longer legacy. You said the word there, honest. And that's one of the things about a memoir that really matters, not just simply sharing your truth, but talking honestly about the real things that occurred in your life. I think that's what separates kind of your run-of-the-mill public relations memoir from, from a reason why someone should actually get down, put pen to paper, or fingertip to keyboard. Yeah, he actually said that it wasn't so hard to write this book. What he found really hard to do was to read it. He narrates the novel, or the memoir, rather. And um, he said confronting those stories in that way, like speaking about them, was what really... Um, was what was really difficult about this book for him. And I think it's because he is so honest. He is so raw. If you watch any of his interviews, he's very clear about what he's been through and how it's impacted his life and that he doesn't want that to be his legacy. Yeah, it's uh, it was one that I think shocked a lot of people, Karen, just because of how young he was. You know, like anytime anybody passes away, it's sad, but there's something so tragic about losing somebody in their 50s. Maybe that's me applying my own lens here as I am a few days away from my 40th birthday, but I, 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 I honestly thought he was older than that. And then when I read that he was in his mid-50s, I, like, th- that especially floored me because much like you, I, I tie my sort of maturation into a teenager and young adult directly to the TV show Friends. Yeah, and and in his in his memoir he says he should be dead. That's one of the opening lines. And so it's a little bit haunting that he made it through all of these addictions. It doesn't sound like he was, you know, still battling those addictions um that there's no toxicology in his, in um the the reports. So yeah. yeah, just a really sad story that he made it through that and then, you know, it sounds like he had a heart attack and died. I don't know all the the yeah, d- yeah. the gossip, but yeah. 
Well, Karen, yeah. let's anyway. Let's, it's a good read. It's okay. Excellent. Yeah, definitely, definitely one worth checking out, especially uh, especially in the context of the, the conversations over the course of the uh, last seven days or so. Karen, let's uh, pivot over to something a little bit more uh, chipper, or at least chipper, happy for these uh, authors who've been nominated. You do a regular featuring of titles available in Sila's collection, and this week. You want to talk about five books that have been nominated for the Governor General's Literary Award for Fiction. So the winners in both the fiction and nonfiction categories are going to be announced in just a couple of days on November the 8th. But hey, there's still time to read some of these books. The first one you wanted to spotlight was A History of Burning by Janika Oza. Yeah, so this is interesting. This was named one of the most anticipated books of 2023 by the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and Oprah Daily and Goodreads. So lots of uh, high expectations for this book. The author won the 2022 O. Henry Prize for short fiction, but this is her debut novel. And it is an epic, sweeping historical novel spanning continents and century. And it's all about how one act of survival can reverberate through generations. So between... Uh, 1898 and 1992. This book covers British colonialism. It covers the Idi Amin dictatorship, racial cleansing, and anti-immigrant prejudice. So it starts at the beginning of the 20th century, and Pirabhai, uh, a teenage boy, is looking for work, and he's taken from his village in India to labor on the East African Railway for the British. Um, and one day he commits this act, which ensures his survival, but it really ends up haunting him and his family for years to come. Uh, so the family scatters. His children are raised and born under the jacarinda trees um, in Kampala. And it's this is during the waning days of the British colonial rule. And then, of course, the situation with Idi Amin happens and they have to flee and they come to, um, eventually they come to Canada. His grandchildren are all around the world, but they find their way back here in Toronto. And a letter arrives to one of them that sort of flames the fire that haunts this whole family. And it makes each generation question how far they're willing to go and what they're willing to to do to secure their own place in the world. There are a lot of characters in this book to keep track of, but the author really manages to introduce them in a way that helps the reader maintain the thread. She also has this really beautiful way of taking the older characters' past and what they've survived in their youth, and then tying that back directly to how they responded to the hopes and the dreams of their own children. So you get this really familial thread running through. It's many things. It really is a sweeping epic saga, but it really talks about things like the story that we share, the ones that we choose not to share, and our collective search for home. What does that mean to all of us? Excellent, excellent book, and it's well worth the read. Another one to put the spotlight on this week is Chrysalis by Anuja Varghese. Yeah, so this is an author that lives in Hamilton, Ontario, and she writes um, primarily books around and stories around women of color getting leading roles. So this is her debut short story collection. She's been published in a number of literary magazines and, and collections, but this is all of her work in this one collection. And it's written from a, a perspective exploring the South Asian diaspora through a feminist and speculative lens. She's a really interesting writer, really sort of genre bending. She 
she incorporates a lot of um, really uh, magical sort of elements to her writing. So this short story collection has a number of really interesting ones. There's a, a story about a couple in a crumbling marriage that faces divine intervention. There's one about a woman who dies in her dreams over and over again until she finds salvation in an unexpected place. Uh, there's one about a teenage misfit who discovers darkness lurking just beyond the borders of her suburban home. So she takes all of these and she runs the theme of feminism through them. The writing's very poetic. It's very sensual. It's sort of surreal in some ways. Um, and it touches on themes that you would, you know, you would expect about intersectionality of family, um, community, sexuality. There's a lot of um, interesting themes about that uh, and the cultural expectations particularly for women and women of color she draws on fairy tales and folklore and it's a it's a really interesting book I love short story collections to sort of dip into an author's writing because you don't have mm. to dedicate a huge amount of time and you can get a get a flavor of their of their writing um, in a in a just a sort of a bite-sized chunk so it's interesting to me that there's a lot of debut authors on this um, nomination list and this one I think is an author we need to be paying attention to. Yeah, super encouraging to get new voices platformed and acknowledged by uh, major awards like this. What about In the Upper Country by Kai Thomas? So this is also a debut novel, and it is a it's got an interesting story, I think. Um, it's the the story of two unforgettable women. One's a young woman, and she's just sort of beginning a journey of reckoning and self-discovery. And the other is an older woman who's completed sort of her last main act. And they intertwine in this really beautiful novel set at um, in the Underground Railroad and at the terminus of the Underground Railroad. So it takes us along this path from Virginia to Michigan, and it also takes us through the indigenous nations around the Great Lakes to the Black refugees communities of Canada. So it begins in the 1800s in Dunmore, which is a fictional Canadian town, and it's the it's settled by people fleeing enslavement in America, sort of at the end of the railroad, so to speak. There's a young woman, her name is uh, Lincinda Martin, and she works for a Black journalist, who's, and she's been taught reading and writing and math by an elderly bachelor neighbor. So that's an interesting piece of the story. One night, a neighbor uh, summons Lucinda because a slave hunter has been shot on his land and she arrives, she thinks, to try and uh, save this man's life, but he's dead when she arrives. Instead, she's been called because the woman who shot him refuses to run away to try and save herself. And so um, the journalist that, that Lucinda works for wants her to get her testimony so that they can, you know, protect her if they need to. Uh, so the old woman doesn't want to talk to anybody but Lucinda. And they they have this sort of barter where they share a story for a story. And it begins this really beautiful exchange of, of tales that reveal Black history and Indigenous history and how it's interwoven in North America, and as well as the personal experiences of these two women. And the older woman shares a secret that reveals um, something really important to, to Lucinda's life, and it really changes the the impact or changes the course of her life. So I think this is a really important element of the story. And it's very profound that like women's stories are so often left untold or dismissed or forgotten throughout history, history, especially for black and indigenous communities. So I think that this is a really interesting book that it, it um, interweaves these two different perspectives and talks about the relationship that really we don't hear much about in general. I'm looking forward to reading this book. I haven't yet, but it's definitely on my list. Karen, unfortunately out of time to talk about the last two, but you also wanted to put a spotlight on We Spread by Ian Reed and The Sleeping Car Porter by Suzette Meyer. Karen, 
Thank you for all of the work you do, you and your colleagues, top tier stuff. Have a lovely weekend. Talk to you again in a couple weeks. Thanks so much. That's Karen McKay, Communications Manager at the Centre for Equitable Library Access. You can follow them on Twitter at Cela Library, C-E-L-A Library. That's all the time there is for the show today, all the time there is for the show this week. Don't worry, things kick off again Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the mighty airwaves of AMI-tv. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. It's the end of the week, so let's say thank you to the people who put this show together. Roll them credits, gang. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Rami Amuthan and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce McClarion. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion-Jones. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Director of content development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.